Hello, and welcome to Mother Daughter Earthcast, a show that will help you navigate the eco world and live a more colorful and conscious life. We'll inform, inspire, and embolden you. And most importantly, we'll have fun along the way to a more planet-caring lifestyle together. Only 7% of Americans talk about climate change on a regular basis. One effective way of talking about it that everyone can kind of get behind is in the frame of pollution. I mean, CO2 is a pollutant, and it's pretty hard to be pro-pollution. Welcome back to Mother Daughter Earthcast, and today we're going to be talking with Xander Sabanius. He's one of Mariana's college friends, and it's just a wonderful discussion that we got to have with him. He's one of the best friends. He's awesome. He is. He is. But before we start talking about Xander, Mariana, weren't you telling me that you and Toby are teaching Whiskey some new tricks? (laughs) tell us about the new tricks of whiskey he's my grand puppy he is he's a smart cookie my mom definitely put me on the spot here (laughs) y'all i wasn't gonna talk about this (laughs) uh yes we are teaching him new tricks because he's super smart and he learns the tricks real fast and the latest one is teaching him how to get toby a beer can out of our <laughs> out of our little wine fridge <laughs> and he's doing and it's pretty going well. really well <laughs> if anyone is very interested send us a dm or email us or whatever and i'll send you the little video of the progress <laughs> we might even post on instagram now that everyone knows that we're teaching our dog to get beer but he's for super, Toby, not for him. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. For Toby, obviously. <laughs> but uh, it's so funny because Whiskey's super gentle with the cans and he's really good about it. But, you know, sometimes he'll like roll it towards Toby at the end. So the <laughs> beer is super <laughs> like gassy or fuzzy or frothy. Whatever. Yeah, frothy. <laughs> but we're having lots of fun with it. And Toby's taking one for the team because, of course, he has to drink the beer in order to give whiskey a proper training session. So it's been fun. (laughs) COVID, COVID goals really is what that is. (laughs) Yeah, well, I thought that was, you know, that's pretty fun and exciting. It is pretty fun. We're, we're pretty cool. This is what we do, do in the evenings on our time, in our time off. Yeah. And for a surprise, uh, a few months ago, uh, I had been wanting uh, whiskey to do a yoga pose. Yes. We taught him yoga. Um, My good friend Spin her dog is super smart and Waverly can do yoga. And since my mom saw Waverly do yoga, then she's always wanted Whiskey to do yoga. And Whiskey's a little less excited about the yoga pose. <laughs> We've, we need a treat when we do it. We still have not been able to do it with Sans treats, but um, he's, he's getting there. He's oh, really good at it. It puts a smile on my face every time he does it. So it's seeing Toby, see not Toby, seeing Whiskey do downward dog is <laughs> yeah. just the best. It's fun. It makes me laugh every time. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on over here with us. Uh, not too much to report, to be honest. We're talking about beer cans being retrieved by whiskey. Um, but diving into our short announcements before we get into the meat of the podcast. First of all, I'd like to say if you're loving what we're doing, because I know you are, please go and give us a five-star rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Um, It really helps us get 
up there in the charts and get seen by other people who also love all of this eco awesomeness that we're talking about. So five-star rating and review, please and thank you. And we, as always, are not as always, as we've been announcing, have a monthly membership where you can get all this extra bonus material and be involved with our community and just get, you know, deep dive conversations and amazing courses, monthly group calls, so many things if you are really looking to just step your eco journey up a notch and have the support that you need to, you know, move 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 the ball along in your eco world. So all the information for our monthly membership options are on our website, motherdaughterearth.biz, B-I-Z. And you can also peruse our website for lots of other good stuff, lots of blogs. Um, We have all of our favorite eco products and eco swaps listed there. So definitely check that out. And if you want to get in touch with us, there are so many ways to do that. We are on all of the, well, I would say all of the main social media platforms, Instagram at Mother Daughter Earth. We're on Facebook at Mother Daughter Earth and YouTube, you guessed it, Mother Daughter Earth. So definitely check us out on the um, other platforms to see what else we have going on because there's lots of fun. So Mariana, tell us about Xander. Oh, you guys, Mr. Xander Sabanius is the best. He really is. He's such an awesome guy. Had so much fun um, just going through all of my environmental engineering classes with him in college. There's actually when we graduated from Harvard in a class of 1600, there were only five of us that graduated as environmental engineers. I didn't realize that. Yes, it was small. And I think at the time there were only like maybe 30, possibly 50 engineers in total. The engineering department was quite small, which is great in the sense that you really get to know people (laughs) that you're going through the classes with. And you also get great, what I found, I got really great lab opportunities. So I was able to work with really cool professors in the different labs and there's lots of great research going on. So anyways, I digress. Xander and I hung out a lot in college. He was my main support system and backbone for all of our engineering classes. And he's just such a gem. So I was super excited to talk to him because he's been up to some really cool stuff in the environmental world. He is currently the Director of Strategy and Operations for Potential Energy Coalition, and they are an amazing nonprofit. You'll hear more about everything that they're doing in our interview with Xander, but they are just coming up with some amazing and innovative, unique marketing strategies to make the climate change communication more effective and get people on board essentially with supporting the environmental movement. Um, he talks to us about how self self silencing about climate change is so detrimental and why he personally doesn't like the use of the term climate crisis, which was cool to get his insight on. So yes, we dive deep into a lot of marketing related topics to climate change. And he's really opened my eyes on, you know, all the new research that is going on in that field. So he's awesome. He is. And I loved getting to visit with him again. Cause I, you know, I didn't get to visit with him that much when you were in college, but I heard about him 
all the time. (laughs) All the time. All the time. All the time. And ooh, the bonus material is super cool. He gives some really concrete and amazing resources for how to find um, elected officials that actually support climate action and so important my mom also puts him on the spot possibly to tell uh, tell y'all some college stories so (laughs) don't miss that bonus material because it's fun so anyways uh i can't wait to talk to xander and without further ado welcome xander sabanius to mother daughter earthcast Xander, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. We're so pumped to have you and to chat with you and to pick your brain a little bit. (laughs) Can't wait. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to see you. I haven't seen you in the longest time. What, three years now, Xander, right? I know, and a different continent. I know. Yes, it was, that was such a fun, fun day. I was actually asking my mom, have you met Xander? And she's like, uh, of course I have. He went to your wedding. He was like right next to you the entire time in college. And Xander is basically like was in every sentence that you spoke because that y'all had all your classes together. So we barely made it through engineering together. I know. Hey, not you, Mr. Magna Cum Laude. You did not just <laughs> barely make it through. Well, I don't know. There were a couple moments. There were some rough patches. Yeah. yeah. And I told Mariana, even though I might not have met you many times, I felt like I knew you because she was always talking about you during college. It's true. And I know she was always talking about me too. Of yeah, that's true. And look at you guys now. Look at us now. So Xander, obviously I know you really well and my mom tangentially knows you well. But for those of you who don't, who are listening, um, Tell, tell them a little bit about you, about your background and what you do now, et cetera. Sure. Um, so my name is Xander Sabanius. Um, I am currently working as the Director of Strategy and Operations for a group called the Potential Energy Coalition. I'm working on, it's sort of a marketing technology company focused around uh, climate change. My entire, kind of going back to Mariana when I first met you, the, the theme of my professional career, if you will, and sort of my passion has been around climate change and sustainability and um, mostly the, kind of at the intersection up until now of the for-profit world and the, um, and the clean tech industry. So just to give a little bit of background, uh, Mariana and I went to... Um, Harvard College together where we studied environmental engineering. Um, To take one step further back, I'm originally from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts and kind of first got interested in the um, in the, the issue of climate, uh, when I read a book called Hot, Flat, and Crowded by Thomas Friedman, which I would highly recommend to everyone and it sort of opened my eyes initially to the basically the the issue of climate, but also the opportunities that climate had um, for innovation and for building successful businesses that could you could be um, you could do well while while doing good. Um, and so that led me to Harvard College, where I studied environmental engineering uh, and um, did a minor in economics. And after school, um, my focus has has basically been in the clean tech space. So I initially went to a company called, Flextronics, which is actually the second largest electronics manufacturing company in the world, um, and worked in their corporate strategy group. Um, they make everything from 
Xbox to Nespresso machines um, to Fitbits. But the thing that attracted me there was um, they also made all of the solar panels, uh, inverters, power electronics um, for um, wind turbines, things like that. So I went there to kind of see the supply chain of the clean tech space, uh, spent about two years there in their group, and then moved over to Solar City, um, where a mentor of mine, a woman named Claire Tompkins, uh, was starting a strategy group there. And so I spent about two years at Solar City, which um, at the time was the largest public uh, residential solar company. Um, worked on everything from uh, some stuff in marketing there to uh, new uh, research on new products and how they would be accepted by the market to um, help them move into Mexico um, from a from a strategic point. And then also, and then Tesla uh, purchased Solar City. So Elon Musk uh, was the chair of the board of Solar City. His um, two cousins, uh, Lyndon and Pete, were the CEO and CTO. Um, so that acquisition happened. I spent about another six or eight months there and then went back to business school. Um, so I went back to Cambridge, um, went to Harvard Business School for, um, for two years and uh, did a summer of uh, clean tech investment banking uh, in the middle of that. Um, so a little bit more on the finance side and then uh, some research of mine uh, with two professors at HBS turned into a startup um, that I spent a year working on in the energy management um, space before um, joining the Potential Energy Coalition, where which is where I am now, um, and trying to help use all of the best uh, technology and psychology and um, talent from the for-profit marketing sector uh, and bringing that to make climate change. Um, like we know marketing works for products and climate change is the hardest marketing problem in the world. Um, <laughs> and so can we actually uh, create a group that can, can change people's perceptions? So that's what I'm working on right now. Xander, you're so cool. I mean, I know you're cool, but I feel like every time we catch up, it's about life and I get little bits here and there about what you're doing, but you have done so much. You've been busy and I'm, I'm so glad that the biggest marketing problem has a cool person like you behind it. So, well, thank you. I still think the coolest thing we did in college was when we turned Gatorade into water. You remember that? <laughs> oh, in, in the water engineering in the class. Water engineering, yeah. With Chad. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes, that was so cool. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about that. Totally. I never heard about this, I know. this story. Wow. So anyways, I know you touched obviously a little bit on how you got interested in sustainability by a book, but is there ever a time in college where it all kind of came together for you and it all really was like an aha moment made sense? This is super important. I need, I want to dedicate my career to it. Or had you even decided that before college? Yeah, or had you? Um, so college? I think there, I think there were probably two moments. Uh, one of them that I just mentioned. So I was actually sitting um, just on the chair over here one summer reading this book, Hot, Flat, and Crowded, and it sort of clicked. Um, I had been interested in this notion of social entrepreneurship when I was in high school, um, where you know you could do something that was socially beneficial for the world um, and create a successful business at the same time. But the moment where I think I, I kind of had this aha moment that I don't actually think I've talked about to almost anyone. So here you go, breaking, oh, breaking news. Um, I, so I took a year off between high school and college and I spent a year um, mostly living in Israel. 
And there's a place there that called the Weizmann Institute. That's basically like MIT of Israel. And they have this really cool science garden um, where, you know, there's all kinds of cool things you can do that, you know, are vibrations on water and things like that. And they had these um, mirrors that were, um, I guess, concave mirrors that um, basically parabolic dishes that focused um, sunlight into a single point and you could pick up a stick and put it right in the middle of that point and it, the stick would light on fire what? immediately. Um, sort of, you know, like a magnifying glass yeah. on a stick. But but I that was sort of the first time that I realized that, you know, energy didn't have to come only from fossil fuels, which I knew, but there was this sort of gut aha moment that I had of, wow, like we can really harness the power of the sun in this case. Um, to to create create energy and i've I've always had an affinity for solar power um since then um so i think that was that was an interesting moment and i remember i went home and started doing some calculations about how big of a mirror you'd have to have to power whatever and um it was just fun and so i think as i thought through what i wanted to do in my career it just seemed to make to make sense that's awesome i had never heard that story i love it that is wonderful and how old were you when you read Thomas Friedman's book on that porch? Um, I was probably 17. Okay. So you had your aha moments pretty close together. You knew before you went into college what you wanted to do. Yeah, for the most part, I think, I mean, I still don't think I know what I want to do with my life, but I think, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone really does. Um, But I don't know. I think what I've tried to do is, have experiences and then see which of those I like and which ones of those I don't like. And each, you know, journey has or each step along the way has taught me more about, about that. So what are uh, you doing specifically where, uh, at potential, potential energy? energy coalition? Yeah. Um, well, that's a great question. Um, all, so we're, we're a startup. We're about a year old. So um, the short answer is a, a lot of things, but there's sort of two, um, two main, uh, I guess, categories of what I work on. So the first, so in my, so I work in, um, sort of with the CEO, John Marshall on strategy. And then I also help, uh, run something that we call something we call test lab, which is like our, our learning lab. Um, and so what, what I do in the sort of strategy role is, um, John Marshall, who is the founder and CEO, is is a brilliant guy. He had a career uh, as a management consultant and helping Fortune 500 companies rebrand. So, you know, like think any big like AT&T, Comcast, like that kind of company um, with their with their branding issues. Um, And he basically went out to his he, he actually had an aha moment tied to Harvard. Um, Dan Schrag, who um, I know, Mariana, we I guess you worked in his lab, didn't you? I did. I crushed fossils in his lab. Well, there you go. For two years. (laughs) Um, So, so Dan, so John, one of John Marshall's sons uh, was in Dan Schrag's class um, at Harvard and he came home and said to his dad, Hey dad, why are like, why aren't you doing anything about climate change? And so John, you know, figured out how to put together this. uh, The reason it's called the potential energy coalition is he went out to all of his network, which was, is extremely robust of marketing agencies, marketing technology companies, creative agencies, and also just a lot of 
um, you know, high profile people and basically said to them, I'm putting this together, sign a pledge that you're going to donate resources, either in kind resources. So like, you know, cutting edge marketing, tracking technology, or actually financial resources. Um, so from like family offices, millionaires, people who really want to make a difference here. Um, and so to get back to your question of what I do uh, on the strategy side is really help him figure out, okay, we've been able to raise a fair amount of money. Um, how should we deploy it for, to get the maximum return our, on our investment, if you will? So if you had you know, however many millions of dollars, how, who would you target um, to try to basically aim these uh, marketing campaigns around how much would you spend on each person, what geographies. So sort of a big like resource um, allocation uh, problem and also, um, you know, what partners would you use where. So I, I help him on some of that. Um, then, then on the other piece is uh, one of the, the really cool things that we do is all kinds of research around marketing uh, related to climate change. So we want to understand what audiences are most persuadable on the climate issue or which ones can we uh, educate the most and find content that is uh, that is new and changes the way they think about it so you know we're very focused on reframing the narrative and also on bringing new voices into the movement so we're not focused at all on the sort of um, greenpeace lefty um, side of the movement that already exists and already cares about this what we care about is bringing people from the center, um, you know, center left, center right, um, and particularly on the right where there isn't as much support um, into um, into the climate movement. Because in reality, everyone like this is an issue that affects everyone. It's a not it should be a totally a nonpartisan issue. Um, and so we run a lot of tests um, using different tools, like you know, basic Facebook tests, but also these randomized control tests where we you know, expose some, we take a group and divide them into, you know, different um, like cells, we call it like survey cells. And we show one of them a message, message A, message B, a third group, we don't show any message at all. And then we ask them um, a series of questions and see where we get the most, um, the most impact uh, around increase in climate uh, understanding, relevance, support and action. I know so. Mariana's going to want to ask you a question. I'm like jumping, yeah. <laughs> jumping on the path of it. Oh, I forgot the question I was going to ask well, you. Well, I can go then. Go, go. <laughs> I was, had a good question. I will we'll write it down. And so we can ask it next time. Um, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because you and I have had a couple of conversations and I love just geeking out over the marketing side of things when it comes to climate change and the overall message. And I would love for you, if you can to share a little bit of high level learnings that y'all have in terms of marketing mm -hmm. and how to, how to communicate climate change. Also more specifically when it comes to the individual. So organizations like yours are doing an amazing job at doing the like massive campaigns and organizing, you know, high level messages. So when it comes to people, how can we translate what you what you've learned mm -hmm. to the individual and how can us as individuals communicate climate change better and, and have those conversations? And now I remember what I wanted to say, what you were talking about, y'all are wanting to reach a broad spe spectrum of people and educate them about mm -hmm. the 
climate change and global warming sounds like mother daughter earth that's, that's it. what that's what yeah. we need to do yeah. also potential energy coalition mother daughter <laughs> earth you know there you go you could you can join our uh, join our pledge there you go <laughs> honey we pledge every day <laughs> we no do. you don't have to pay you don't have to pay anything you can just donate no. your you're 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 helping us right now with uh giving us publicity that's we, it we pledge every day to make the world a better place to live and, well, and help go. the environment but go ahead i interrupted no, you didn't. You added. You added, Mom. Okay, so back to my question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how can the individual kind of take these understandings and change the way we talk about climate change to make it more inclusive and make more of an impact? The point, I know if we've talked about this, the point isn't to argue with people. The point is to have a constructive conversation and hopefully, you know, add to, add to perspectives. Totally. Um, so I have, I have a lot of thoughts on that question, just given that I'm <laughs> steeped in the reality of it every day. Um, but let me talk about a couple of them and we can either dive deeper or go broader. So I think a first, um, there's a couple just sort of key pieces of information that, that I think are really important that everyone keeps in mind. The first is that the argument is not about is climate change happening or is climate change not happening? I think we give a lot of focus um, to climate deniers and we, they take up an inordinate, inordinate amount of the airtime and I think also of the sort of mental capacity um, of people um, when they think about climate. One, one of our studies showed that um, there's it, only 7% of Americans talk about climate change on a regular basis. So the issue isn't whether they're denying it, it's whether they're, it's relevant to them and whether they're talking about it. Right. So I think a first just key lesson that I think everybody needs to hear is that if you just talk about climate change, you can basically talk about anything and you're helping out, right? Like helping move it into the sort of forefront of people's minds, it, like is really a, um, you know, we always try to think about what's the best way to convince a denier, but in reality, it's, it's not, I don't think, I think people should just focus on bringing it into conversation more, um, just sort of as an initial, um, an initial piece. Great um, point. The other piece, and there was actually a wonderful paper um, that came out of Yale uh, a week or two ago, um, that I will send to you and maybe you can put in the show notes. Yes, um, sure. That was a study of how people perceive climate views in their network. And basically what the finding showed was that if you were to ask someone who's moderate or conservative, like of the 10 people around you, how many of them support government action on climate change? People would say, and these numbers, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but um, people would say, you know, one or two of my, network would do that. And in reality, it's like seven out of 10 or eight out of 10 would support that. Whoa. And so there, there's, there's this weird self-silencing that is happening because people perceive that everyone around them has views that they don't actually have. Um, and so at an individual level, like if, if, you know, we, I jokingly talk with some of my colleagues about helping people come out of the climate closet, like, <laughs> like you're not alone, like everyone feels this way, but everyone thinks that, um, 
you know, everyone thinks that everyone else is more conservative or a, a more of a denier than they are. Um, and so I think, again, that that's important ammo for people to have in their, you know, in their mental, um, you know, in their mind, just to know that, like, people probably feel more similarly to them than they think. Um, so those are those are sort of two, uh, two initial things. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of other um, places we can go with this. So happy to keep going or dig into those. I have one follow-up that I also think will follow up and then keep digging. Please. <laughs> keep going. So when Good. you say talk, what exactly do you mean? Do you mean like casually dropping it into conversation? Like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's been this, a crazy summer. This is climate change happening mm -hmm. in, in our local area or, oh, hey, I live in Florida. Did you see the sunny day flooding and just like casually drop it in or actually have meaningful conversations? I'm not, I'm, I'm genuinely wondering, is it just like making it more casual or asking people, hey, what do you think about climate change? And as a follow-up to that, when you are having those conversations, what phrases, if you will, are good to avoid or you know, or what, mm -hmm. what are good ways to present information and to share views? So two-part question. Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, I don't know if I have a particularly interesting perspective on casual versus in-depth conversation, except for, I guess, I guess I would say both. Uh, I would say again, like bringing it up in conversation I would say generally is better than not. And, and one other thing that we've seen in our research is pretty much when you talk to people about climate change, regardless of their you know, political affiliation, their religious beliefs, whatever it is, we almost always see an, an increase in their um, understanding and their support for government action and you know, their willingness to take personal action. So I would say... And the other piece is we almost never see backlash. So a lot of people are afraid if I bring it up, it's this third rail. And if I don't get everything perfectly correct, exactly. um, then, you know, I've, I've blown my chance. But, I, but we really haven't seen that, at least with um, the message testing that we've done. Um, in terms of what to talk about and what not to talk about, um, there's a couple of um, learning. So one is when you talk to people about specific policies, so like the Green New Deal might be an interesting example, right? That's a very politicized um, piece of legislation. Right. So I would probably think about talking about more values-based, you know, do you value like importance about the environment or caring about your children's future or having um, an economy that's innovating. Those are things that pretty much everyone can agree on. And those are parts of the Green New Deal, um, for example, but you can kind of evade a lot of the emotional um, or identity uh, baggage that comes along with anything that, that's sort of legislation-based. Also, I think people um, typically don't, climate change is a very abstract term. Um, so it's, we don't really have sort of a mental model for, there's nothing else that's similar to climate change. Um, so it's pretty hard for us to conceptualize what that is. I think one uh, sort of similar environmental problem that was much easier to understand was like the, there was a hole in the ozone layer. 
people understand what it means to have like a layer that has a hole in it, right? You have a hole in your pants, you have a hole in whatever, <laughs> like we need to, we need to fix the hole. Like we, we have up the hole. Yeah. And like people can understand that. Right. Um, but climate change doesn't, you know, it happens over a long period of time. You can't see it. It's not like it in so many ways too. Yeah, exactly. So it's very abstract. And I think one, um, one effective way of talking about it uh, that everyone can kind of get behind is in the frame of pollution. I mean, CO2 is a pollutant. Um, It's a pollutant in the sense, you know, the EPA has designated it a pollutant that can be regulated. Um, It is literally causing the world to change in the same way that any other pollutant um, causes uh, the world to change and to harm human health. And it's through a different mechanism than something like, you know, particulate matter, but it still is a pollutant. Um, And it's pretty hard to be pro-pollution. You know, some people are, but you don't want to be on that side of the argument. I don't want to be on the pro-pollution side. (laughs) I've never met one of those people. (laughs) I know. Xander, I keep hearing you talk about climate change, but I never hear you talk about global warming. Is that very, is that thought out? Have you found that it's better to always say climate change and not global warming? Tell me about that. It's a really good question. Um, So I think that global warming was, I'm, I don't know the exact history of it, but I believe global warming was actually initially um, a frame that was very intentionally developed uh, to sort of elicit a response of people. I, I think it was a actually a fairly conservative frame um, that was sort of introduced into our lexicon to make it not sound that bad because global, now I should check that, um, but I you know, but I believe that's the case. And what people saw was that sometimes it doesn't actually get warmer. It's really more about extreme, um, extreme weather cycles and a, a changing, um, a much more variable climate. Um, and so I personally talk about it as global warming, beca- or sorry, about as climate change, because I think it much more accurately reflects um, the fact that the climate is changing. I I don't actually know if it's the most effective way to discuss it because it is a much more abstract term. So I hope that as um, as a climate community, we can come up with an even better term that, um, you know, that indicates that it's a changing climate, but it's not a nice thing like warming. Um, the other, the other piece that we, I think I was talking to Mariana about recently from a marketing perspective is we always talk about like one to two degrees of, uh, of change centigrade and a degree or two to, you know, somebody on a Fahrenheit system means nothing. Um, and like, you know, two or three degrees is (laughs) like four or five degrees Fahrenheit. And, and that's an average. That's not the actual um, variant, like, you know, it can swing by 20 or 30 degrees is in place, like, um, you know, the poles and whatnot. So, um, again, I think that's scientists being cautious and, um, not wanting to overstate anything, which they could. So. And I, to follow up on that, I actually have taken a slightly different approach. I love using both terms global warming and climate change because to me they mean different things to me the root is a is global warming right Mm. you know 
greenhouse gases are causing the earth to warm. The average temperatures are increasing. We have seen that. Global warming, though, then causes climate change. So climate change to me is more of a localized conversation. So absolutely not everywhere is warming the same or even warming at all or whatnot. There's extremes in both ways. And, and it, you know, there's all these other weather patterns that fall into that. But to me, I've personally owned the term global warming because I think that's explaining what's at the root of the change. And you're in Texas, so it is warming. And we're in Texas <laughs> and no one wants it to get hotter here. No, <laughs> especially not in August. No, yeah. we're dying I think already. I think one of the other frames that are the other uh, terms that isn't necessarily helpful to the sort of climate cause is calling it a crisis um, yeah. because most people, when they think of a crisis, it's pretty uh, short term and, you know, it happens and it's discreet and we have to come over it. And this is a quote crisis. I mean, it is a crisis, but on a much longer time scale than people are used to, you know, my, I was born and climate change was a climate crisis and I'll probably die and it will still be a climate crisis. And so I think people get fatigued from that. Um, and so I think, you know, people that are skeptical of it, you know, they kind of roll their eyes when they hear crisis. So um, I think, you know, using climate change or the changing climate or global warming or, you know, talking about things that are unnatural um, can can get at, you know, can not put people on the sort of defensive or having them roll their eyes. Yeah. And I totally agree on the defensive side of things and the crisis, because that's something that we are very aware of when we talk about this issue every day is staying positive. And we know that this is a huge issue. And in my opinion, the biggest issue of my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I understand that and I've dedicated my life to it. But at the same time, if you get stuck in that space, then you just give up hope. And you're like, well, nothing that I do is going to matter. It's too big to solve. And this is a crisis and someone else can figure it out. But I feel like staying with more positive language just wants people to, it, it helps people get engaged more and doesn't kind of alienate anyone who doesn't feel like they're already, you know, doing everything perfectly because no one is. None of them are. Yeah, no, I think, I think there's, that's a really interesting point. So a couple of thoughts there. Um, the first is, from the research we've done, we have actually shown that messages around more sort of fear and the irreversibility and um, the the changing world that your kids aren't going to be able to inhabit that was the same as when you were a child, those messages actually drive more um, change in uh, like persuadability changes um, than some of the hope and optimistic messages. Now, I think part of the reason is because a lot of the messaging has been around green jobs and around um, whatnot. But I think it's it's definitely interesting that there's you can kind of I think in in some ways it's easier from an interpersonal uh, way to talk about it in optimistic um, terms, but from sort of more of like a bigger messaging term solutions and hope are important, but we've seen that fear and um, people need to sort of be shocked out of their complacency. Oh my gosh, my insurance premiums are going up or my whatever, now I'll, I'll care about it. So I think the mess, I think tailoring the right message to the right audience is, is really important there. 
And I um, think you said shocked out of their personal complacency is important because mm-hmm. just calling it a crisis and the polar bears are, you know, having a hard time and, you know, the ice is melting, that hasn't really resonated with anyone. But mm-hmm. hey, you have a house on the beach, you can't get flood insurance anymore because of climate change. Like right. that affects you. So I I I like I I appreciate you drawing that distinction because it's not all roses and rainbows, but on Mother Daughter Earth, we do err on the side of positivity, but I do think that there's definitely space for personal shocking out of your comfort and, and yeah. reminding well, it's people, also for people also for people who, who basically don't care, right? They need a reason to care. And if it's, and I think, you know, from like sales, they, you know, they talk about selling fear, uncertainty, and doubt as the way you get someone to buy a product. Like there's similar, or, um, you know, there's, there's certain things that just work for, for selling um, just based on sort of our human like wiring. Yeah. Um, and so I think it depends where people are in their relationship to climate change. Cause like I was saying before, a lot more people than you would think actually support, you know, government action on climate change. And those people, I think a hope message or a positivity message works well. Um, but for people who don't care at all, um, they need know. that initial shock to, yeah, get the ball rolling. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. And what are y'all doing to get the people who have, who really have never talked or thought about this topic and don't really care? How are you, how are y'all reaching them and getting them on the journey with us? And if it's secret, you can tell us it's, you can just say uh, fun stuff is coming. Well, we have a lot of really, fun stuff coming in the next couple of months. Um, and, but I, I mean, I think the way you can think about it is like any sort of traditional marketing campaign. Um, we use a number of different uh, media channels in terms of how to get to people and how to, you know, different technologies to measure them. But in terms of what we're really trying to do is use it, is using sort of cutting edge, creative, using humor, using kind of unexpected voices um, so that it's not, you know, a polar bear on an ice cap, but, you know, it's a, a local celebrity who's known for some crazy YouTube video that that's talking about climate change or, um, you know, it's just coming from an unexpected um, corner. And so I'd say those are some of the kind of high level things we're trying to do. We read a, a couple of years ago that y'all reached out to some of the valedictorians in the high school classes and maybe even college, I don't know, and asked them to uh, say a one-minute statement about, uh, uh, I think it was uh, about... Yeah, 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 I think it was the, the Take 60 campaign. It was a little bit before yeah. my time, um, but, you know, things like that, right? Uh, that was unexpected, and it, it was, was. In a sort of a way to channel um you know now nowadays there's so many ways of getting to people um and using all of those different mediums um with the hope of just getting them to be be climate advocates um rather than you know we don't ask people to donate or something which is actually a lot of what the climate marketing is right now is uh, nonprofits trying to raise money um and so we're in the fortunate position where we've raised a fair amount of money and we can optimize for um, like education that resonates as opposed to, you know, which one gets a bigger donation. Um, I love it. Yeah. Sander, 
we're reaching the end of our time, unfortunately, because this has been awesome. But before we let you go, there's a couple of things. First, mom wants to ask you, this is a question that she wants to ask everyone that comes on the show. So I'll give it, give it over to her. And then after that, I'd love for you to tell us, you know, what can, what do you want people to do in terms of being involved and what can, what can we do for you and what can we do to help out? Um, and how can people reach you? Or I know you just said they don't necessarily need to donate, but if there are any calls to action to yeah. you know, for our listeners, and I'd love you to share that. Um, but mom, go, go for it with your question. Yes. What do you think the most important thing people can do individually to help reverse climate change? Great question. Um, dun, dun, I think, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually have a very strong opinion about that. Good. Um, I think that the single most important action that anyone, especially in the U.S. can take is to do some research on their uh, elected officials before the elections and to vote for elected officials, Democrat or Republican, that have um, strong stances on climate action. Um, and I think if everybody voted with climate as one of their top issues, we would see massive progress in this country. Um, and so given that, you know, there's elections coming up in less than 100 days, I would say, um, number one, the most important thing you can do as a citizen in general is vote, but two, as a um, as a climate activist, I think your um, ability to really make uh, long-term change, um, you know, there's personal change you can make, but I think that 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 single action that you can take and do in, you know, less than an hour um, can really set the stage for all kinds of other things to happen. So that's my, uh, that's my number one. I love it. I could not agree with you more. I agree. And maybe we can dive deeper into what to look for in certain like representatives and what exactly you want to be um, looking at whenever you're seeing what stances they have on climate change in the extra bonus material. So anyway, Xander, how can people get in touch with you or help out or get involved, et cetera, et cetera? That is a great question. Um, so I would say, how can people get involved? Like we talked about, talk about climate with your friends, with your family, bring it up at the dinner table once a week, once a month, you'll be doing a lot more than 93% of Americans. Um, how can people get in touch with me? Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> don't spam him, please. You can reach out. I, I don't, you can reach me at Twitter at, <laughs> I don't even know my Twitter handle, but, um, or you can, um, go through mother daughter earth and they will connect you with me directly. that's true and if you're if you have a massive audience on social media and if you're someone super famous definitely a say hi to us but b maybe you can help them out and be another spokesperson at some point so there you go totally I love it Xander, well, thank you thank you so much this was awesome and i'm looking forward to the extra bonus material you're the best, right. Sandra. You are well, the best. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> terrific. I learned so much. Awesome. Can't this wait to chat, chat again, Xander. All thank right. You. Talk soon.